Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Krauss explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. We get lots of questions from physicians about real estate investing, so I invited Dr. Sindel Krishnan, who is a cardiologist and very successful real estate investor, to talk about his journey. Welcome to the show, Sindel. Hi, Tammy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. We've talked before, and it sounds like you've done all types of real estate investing over the years before you found your current niche. Can we maybe just start by talking about your journey and how you got started? Yeah. So my background, as you mentioned, I'm an interventional cardiologist in California. And I think over the last couple of years, I really had an epiphany where I realized it was just going to be very difficult to find financial freedom and independence with just medicine or even cardiology, especially in a highly competitive environment like in Southern California. And so I started branching out into real estate, looking for something that was appealing to me. And I wasn't really sure. I just found everything kind of appealing. And I just started jumping into all sorts of real estate things. You know, everything from just not just the passive stuff, but a lot of active real estate projects, short-term rentals, and even new construction and large-scale flips, like you name it, you know, I've just started doing a whole bunch. But during that journey, of course, I learned a lot of lessons and just kind of was trying to focus and niche down. And that's how I kind of came across residential assisted living, which has really been more than just an investment, I would say at this point, but really just a passion and sort of an extension of my own medical practice. Did you kind of enjoy, I I think you told me before, I mean, you had rental properties, you kind of got into the groups where you would buy, you know, larger properties together. Did you enjoy that part of the journey? Initially I did. And then it just, you know, we had a portfolio of homes actually in Kansas City. I think that's where you're at. And so I did medical school in there. So I just bought quite a few like single family homes that were built as turnkey. And it quickly became apparent that you're just dealing with tenant calls or tenant issues. These properties really didn't cash flow, even though on paper they seem to. So it was one issue after another. So then I was like, you know what, I got to do something different. So I looked at, say, short-term rentals. Those things were a little exciting and fun at first, but then you start getting phone calls from neighbors and then things break down and you have a whole different set of issues. I really like new builds and new construction, but once they're done, then, you know, you you sell the project and then you're kind of starting from scratch. You're looking all over and, you know, in terms of market and repeatability, it's kind of very difficult to find something consistent. So one by one, I would try all these little different avenues and see like how far I could push the envelope or how far I could be. But eventually I came into residential assisted living and I really discovered like this niche is not only giving you a great consistent performance and high returns, and you can also reproduce it and scale and grow. But there's this other component where you can use your skills as a physician and really set a new bar for your homes and set it into a whole new level 
that other homes around you really can't even come close to competing. And it's just purely gratifying. You know, if you go into your homes and you check it out and you see your caregivers and hanging out with the senior residents, it's just so gratifying that, you know, I, at this point, I don't really feel like it's even an investment for me at this point. It's just almost like a lifestyle. It's another career choice that I've taken on. Now, how is it different between a residential assisted living facility and an assisted living facility where we think of our patients like having their own apartment? So it all falls under the spectrum of senior housing. Senior housing is anything really for, you know, residents maybe in their 60s, which include independent housing units where they can live independently. And then, you know, then daycare center falls into there. And then you get into assisted living, which is really people that need assistance with daily living, which is where the big box commercial facilities and the smaller residential assisted living. And then finally, towards the end of the spectrum, when their needs are really great, then you're talking about nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, hospice kind of falls into along the spectrum as well. So residential assisted living is really assisted living, non-medical facility. It can be assisted living could be in a large scale or it could be a small scale. And one of the great advantages of having smaller homes is really the small, more intimate nature of these homes. Like, you know, we max out at 10 residents. We have two or three caregivers on during the day to help these residents. So that responsiveness and the personalization for these residents is what they need, which is something that the larger assisted living facilities really can't offer because they have caregiver ratios of say 15 residents to one. So you have residents that, you know, we find that a lot of residents have outgrown the larger assisted living facilities. And, you know, when it comes time, they actually move into these smaller homes. So we're not even competing against larger ALFs. It's really, they end up outgrowing the ALF needs and coming into these small RAL. Sounds like you would have, you know, just tight knit relationships and friendships between the staff and the residents. It does sound kind of nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, th these are staff members that have been with us for years and they often show up at the same home week after week. So they really get to know the residents on a very intimate level. And in fact, they hear stories about them that even some of the family members don't even know. You know, unfortunately, dementia ends up stealing a lot of these memories, but the caregivers are privy to so much like wonderful things in their past that they can pass on family. They get to know what their likes and dislikes are, food taste, you know, things like that. So we just hear some fascinating stories and it really comes out from the caregivers who are there with them, getting to know them as friends more than, you know, just caregivers. Now, being a physician and being an owner of these facilities, does that increase your liability in any type of medical capacity? No. So it's important to remember that these aren't medical facilities and we're not providing medical care. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but could it feasibly, I mean, there's liability in this, you know, just as there's liability in your medical practice. But the first line is always going to be protection legally with LLCs and with, you know, insurance. So there's insurance for a property and the LLCs for the property. There's business liability and business LLC as, as protection. Other than that, I mean, you know, this is a very commonly done concept. There's nothing new about this. There's literally tens of thousands of these homes across the country. 
There's hundreds probably in your city. You could be living next door to one and not even realize it. So I wouldn't say that there's extra liability. And in fact, it's probably lower than the commercial assisted living facilities simply because of that caregiver responsive time to their resident is much quicker and much faster than it is for, say, a larger, you know, when you have a hallway of people and you got one or two caregivers have to scramble between all of these residents trying to make sure that their basic needs are met. So in many ways, it's actually much safer. And studies have actually shown that, you know, there's less falls, there's, there's greater responsiveness to bedside, so things like that. So where would you start? I mean, do you start with the licensing or finding the property or where do you even start on this journey? Yeah, I know it seems overwhelming and there's <laughs> just so many components. So when I started, I, you know, I just tried to get as much knowledge as I could, you know, listening to anything, talking to, I must have talked, spoken to at least two dozen, you know, RAL managers or members, just trying to get all the basic information. When I started, I was looking in California and to me, the numbers didn't make sense. There, was a, there seemed to be a lot of red tape, which kind of worried me. So I went to look, I went looking in Arizona, which seemed a little bit more easier to do. Then I found out that there was just so many different things and so many similarities across the states that, you know, really, I would say that building up a great team should be your first focus. If you want to get this, get educated. But secondly, you want to build a team together before you even start looking at real estate or trying to put a house together. Because ultimately, once you have your house, that's honestly the easy part. Buying a house, renovating it, whatever, doing whatever it needs to do to get it up and running. It's really like once you get that license and you open the door, you want to make sure that everything is running smoothly, that you got your team together, you got your policies together, you got your principles, your values, all of that put together. And that really starts with having a great team and you being the director of that team. All the other stuff can be done by other people. Things like licensing or getting the actual minutia forms filled out. You know, there's assisted living managers out there. There's administrators. There's even services that will help you put together all the compliance paperwork together. All of those components, you can hire people to do. You can even learn to do it yourself. But, I, you know... I mean, why do that? You know, when you can hire people and get them on your team or you can pay a third party to do that. So the minutia of the stuff is what really scares people. But honestly, that's the stuff that you don't need to worry about because there are people that have been doing this or experience far more experience that would be better to do. I think you told me that there was a limit of 10 residents. So where do you start as far as finding a property that can accommodate, you know, whatever that number is that you want to have in your home? Yeah, when we started, we, you know, the first house that I founded was just a residential property. It only had four bedrooms, but now it's, it has 10 bedrooms with 11 bathrooms. And the way that happened was because the reason that I purchased that property was that because it had a two car garage and it had an RV garage all under roof. So I simply had to convert those spaces into extra bedrooms and bathrooms. So we ended up adding like, you know, five bedrooms there. And then we split the master bath bathroom into a bedroom. So there's creative ways to do that. Now that was a very large scale project. Okay. For 
most people I would say, don't try to do that. Don't try to go like, that was just a very nutty project for me to like, you know, but I felt comfortable doing that because years before I had been doing real estate all along. So I thought, well, you know, I could handle this a lot easier. It was my first thing and it's my first endeavor in real estate. There's much easier way, you know, you can get licensed for any number of beds before that. So if you want to stop at five, you can stop at five. If you want to stop at six, you could do that, et cetera. Additionally, there's, you can also buy an assisted living business with a real estate like component together. So you can be off the ground with a fully licensed property that's already been renovated, that has a residence and likely is cash flowing. So that's another way to enter the space. A third way is you just become a land. I mean, you own the building, but you lease out the property to an operator in assisted living. Now that might require you to make those adjustments to the home, renovate it into a properly for assisted living. Then you can like rent it out and you could probably charge a lot more on your rent simply because the operator doesn't have to do anything like that. So, you know, in our group, we've done all of these variations, you know, we purchased homes and renovated them from scratch. We purchased both the RAL business and the RAL property. We sometimes just lease from someone else. So we're the operators and then we're just leasing the property. So there's no different ways. And I feel like they all have their little pros and cons, but you know, ultimately if you, if you want it to succeed and be financially successful, then you need to have both components. So you need to have the real estate and you need to have the business. Are there consortiums you can just join to become an investor in a group that's already done this that you're aware of? Yes. Well, yes. So senior living is, has multiple funds out there. Many of them actually invest. So they're like REITs that invest in larger scale assisted living projects. You know, maybe they're like 55 bed to, you know, 150 beds larger scale development, things like that specific senior housing. And it may not just be assisted living. It could be independent living units. It could be assisted living. It could be more advanced than that or something called a continuing care, which is, you know, starting in their sixties all the way to when they pass, whenever that may be. Our group ourselves, we've had numerous physicians reach out to us over the years. And so we created our own private fund, a reg deep fund where we basically invest in our own RALs, like homes that we're purchasing, that we're managing and running. So there's that. But I know other groups around the country, there's a few that, that do something similar along these lines. Gotcha. And when you were first starting out, I know you talk about building this team, but did you ever find yourself in the position of having to step in and manage employees yourself? Um, especially in the... Well, Maybe it was just me. Right, right. Yeah. So when it was just me, my, my lofty, like hubris plan, I would say was, okay, I'll be in California. I'll do my work. I'll just get a manager and the manager can kind of take care of everything for me. <laughs> and so my goal was like, oh, you know what? Like, I'll just check in with them every few days. They'll hire caregivers. They'll do the tour. I was kind of relying possibly on one person doing everything. And so I tried to do that. I actually, you know, interviewed dozens of managers over a time span. And so I was getting close to opening my own house, but it quickly became clear that you need someone on the ground to manage the manager, right? So you need someone to give them guidance, even if they've been doing it for years, which is why I ended up like 
um, partnering with, with one of my main partners. He and I co-founded MD Senior Living, but at that time, he was transitioning from home care giving services into residential assisted living himself. And both our homes were coming online at the same time. And so, you know, I said, hey, listen, would you mind operating and we can join forces? I can bring a medical side to this. You bring the operational side to this, which is kind of how we formed MD Senior Living. And over the years, we've just, you know, I, I, you know we were going to be happy with just two or three homes. But, you know, four or five years later, we were up to 12 homes and it's just grown like crazy. And we're growing in different aspects of this business. So education side or health side or, you know, whatever it is, like hospice side, or we're looking at different aspects so that we can integrate all of these into our homes and help our seniors. What a fascinating journey. I know you've told me that the return on investment is just really impressive. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the ways to understand this is that this is not a passive opportunity, right? So the more passive something is in real estate, the less returns you're generally going to see. This is why everyone can do a passive syndication and be part of that. And you generally get returns of maybe eight to 12%. But then when you start getting more and more active going up this pyramid that I look at it, then the next step might be to do short-term rentals. The step up above that would be like maybe say fix and flips or something more difficult, something that requires more hands-on. So as you get more and more involved and there's more and more of a business component, your returns start to get higher and higher, you know, like a new construction may end up doing 30, 40%. When you get to RAL space, now you got a really high specific niche business. It's not easy to be hands-off, even though I try to, I train people on how to do that to be hands-off, but you've got this hands-on component where you're actually taking care of lives and you have a real estate component. So just to give you, just to give you a sense of an audience of what the average assisted living home charges in the U.S. is around 43 to 4,600 a month per resident. So if you have a 10 bedroom home, you know, that's feasibly about $45,000 a month in gross revenue. Now you got to look at your overhead. So if you take that and then say your overhead is about 60%, that leaves you with a net of $18,000 a month. Now you subtract out the debt service. Debt service can be highly variable. You know, even if it's like a couple of thousand dollars in some of these homes, you know, we're not spending more than 3,500 or 5,500. You're still left with cash flow of 10 to $15,000 a month. Now that's for a very average home, right? So when I say average, I mean, it's like you go in there and it's not some place that you would really want to put your mom or dad, but you know, unfortunately the fact is like a lot of homes around the U S are this very average kind of three-star place, I would say, but you know, we have homes that are five, $6,000. And then there are homes in say, you know, the Bay area of San Francisco that are charging $14,000 and up simply because the real estate is so much. But when you work out the numbers, you start to see that overall, most homes can cash flow between five to $15,000 a month. It just kind of works out that way. And when, regardless of wherever you look in the U.S. So typically that's kind of the range that you're looking at, which is phenomenal, right? I mean, if you're getting $150,000 a year with just one home, for you to find financial independence, I mean, it doesn't take that many homes. And the great thing is about scaling this business is that you can do a refinance 
if you're familiar with the burr strategy, you can burr an RAL. You can take out a lot of that money from both, not just the real estate, but from the business and do it again with another RAL in two to three years. And therefore, you know, with very little additional capital, you can get two or three more homes going. If you have a manager of your facilities, but you end up having more than one home in one real estate market, can that manager handle multiple facilities or do you have to have a manager for each facility? Correct. Well, first of all, I wouldn't want people to spread out their homes beyond, you know, if you can do it within your town or city, it's best to try to do all of it within a, in a certain geographical area. Many reasons. One of them is economies of scale. You can share a lot of different things, a lot of expenses between these homes. A lot of states have what, where you can, where the manager or administrator can hang their license and it varies. So in Arizona, they can hang their license on two homes. That doesn't mean that they can only run those two homes, but literally someone's license and point of contact for the state is with those, with that person, with those two homes. So. Our director of nursing operations, she oversees all 12 of our homes, but her license only hangs on two. So we have to find other managers or assistant managers where they can hang it on the walls of the other places. So, you know, economies of scale is really the way to cut down your operational overhead. I mean, so what do I mean by that? I mean, things like grocery shopping, right? You can do a bulk shopping at Costco or Sam's for all the homes in one area. You can share entertainment services. So if you have, you know, weekly entertainers that come in or therapists that come in, you can have them go to all of these things. You can also make it centralized so that caregivers can be shared. So if one place has a caregiver that's out sick, another place can quickly send one of their extra caregivers over there. So there's a lot of like advantages for having something like that. So it wouldn't be beneficial. It sounds sexy to say, hey, you know, I have a house and Vegas and I got one in like, you know, Florida. And so whenever I go on vacation, I can go hang out. It does, but it's a lot more work and a lot more difficult to coordinate that. It's much better if you can do it where you're at. And trust me, the need is everywhere. You know, there's probably not a town that doesn't need assisted living unless you're extremely small or very small rural community. And even then, I mean, there's creative ways that you can find to, to be successful in these areas. When we had talked before, you talked about you know, how many physicians had come to you to ask how you got this started, how you got the information. And I think you actually even developed an academy and a book to try and help others. You want to talk about that? Yeah, over the year, you know, I've had literally over 200, 300 doctors kind of reach out to me. And it's only because I've kind of posted my journey on, on say, bigger pockets or just to keep people informed of what's been going on. And so a lot of people would reach out and say, how can I get started with my own RAL? And for the longest time, I really didn't know how to advise them because I was like, well, you know, we do it in Arizona. You're welcome to join us here or try to do it around here. I'll be happy to help you. But, you know, I don't, what, what do I know about Wisconsin? So stuff like that. But then I realized as I started to look into the rules and regulations and understand the licensing process, I realized that a lot of it is uniform across the state a lot of the same things that they look for in one state might be slightly varied in a different state, but they also look for the same thing. So things like, you know, disaster fire plans or what's the minimum square size for a room, whether it's shared or private, 
how many bathrooms should there be for X number of residents? So things like that, even parking slots, um, entertainment, what's the dietary, dietary like guidelines that you're going to have? A lot of this, they just want to know that you have something in place and they'll tell you the bare minimums of what's required, right? Three, three meals a day with snacks throughout the day. So simple things like that. So when you look at it like that, then I suddenly began to realize, okay, this is a very scalable concept and it's very easy to teach. Like the teaching portion is not really difficult. What I think is really difficult is to try to teach people that they can do it, to not get afraid, to not like, you know, just keep grinding away in medicine and just assuming like, hey, like, you know, eventually facing burnout or just whatever it is. And I just hear so many horror stories about doctors and what they have to go through nowadays, which is just to me appalling and just like, you know, disheartening to see that. But it's, hey, listen, you can do more than this. You can continue to practice medicine, but now you can practice medicine in a way that you want to without having to worry about the financial aspects of that. So that to me is changing their mindset to let them understand that, hey, once you understand that, hey, you can do this too, that you have more than all the tools and skills and knowledge necessary. Once people understand that, then I think they'll become very successful and do their own home. You know, the nuances, like I said, the, the nitty gritty of the licensing stuff, it's not a big deal. It's a very small portion. You know, having a vision of what you want your home to be, setting those parameters, looking at it from a directorial level, setting like a company, like a vision, things like that's more important, I think. And that's what really set you apart and make you more successful than a lot of the other problems. I know it sounds so daunting, but I mean, you shared your book with me, you shared part of your class with me, and you really just made it sound step by step. You know, you can do this. It's very easy. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you and, you know, maybe get the book or take part in the class, how would they do that? Yeah. So if the, well, the book is just a free book online. And the ebook is really just kind of teaching them the ins and outs of what exactly an RAL is, kind of diving into the numbers and returns and looking at a few of these homes that we've opened and actually showing you like, okay, these are the kind of returns that you can get and basic understanding of the licensing and how the team operates. So if they wanted that, they could just email us at academy at mdseniorliving.com. From time to time, we do launches for, for a webinar where I promote the actual course. The whole course is, is over almost six hours long, but includes numerous resource books, includes worksheets, licensing guides for every state. So it includes a lot of resources so that people can basically understand the nuts and bolts of how to open their own assisted living home. And also not only that, not only understanding the real estate and the business side, but also what else they can do from a physician standpoint. There's a lot of things that we can add, like telehealth services. We can add remote patient monitoring. We can add chronic disease management or chronic care management services. And a lot of these, many of these physicians may also be doing in their own medical practice, billing Medicare. Well, you can also do that and create extra ancillary revenues for, for your homes as well. So it's kind of an extension of your medical practice into a real estate investment strategy. So there's so many things you can do. You know, I don't, my goal is not to create an extra career for physicians, right? This is not 
so that, okay, you go from working in medical practice. Now you're taking on the stress of running an REL. No, you're going to figure out how to hire the right team so that they can run the nitty gritty for you. Right. I tell people I live in California. I'm rarely on the team, really on phone calls with my manager or the caregivers. You know, I only jump on there just to see how things are going. But I'm more involved with my partner and understanding vision and strategy. Which home should we get to next? What services should we offer? What's going to make the most sense for our residents, you know, to help them? What can we do for the families to help them? So that's how I look at things. You know, I'm not involved in like, who didn't show up to work today or what drama is occurring, you know, all that stuff that you're, you're going to have. It's, that's not my concern. And that's where I don't want doctors to feel like they're going to end up having to deal with. You're really inspirational. Just trying to help other people get to their financial independence. And I think you've had a fascinating journey. I'm so glad you agreed to come on the show and just share part of that with us. Oh, thank you, Tammy. I appreciate it. So you gave the email address. Do you want to kind of say the website address one more time, just in case someone wants to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So for our actual, so if they want to look at our, uh, our company name and just look at our homes and kind of see what we're doing, it's mdseniorliving.com. And then if they want the academy, it would be mdseniorlivingacademy.com. Like I said, we do you know, we do webinars, we do teaching events throughout the year. And it's not just really just my experience. I bring a lot of people that are in the senior housing industry in various aspects, whether they be managers or nurse administrators or even lenders or whoever it may be, brokers, just to bring their expertise so that, you know, you can continue to understand and grow and learn and really become successful in this field. Well, thank you again, Sandil. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much, Tammy. I appreciate it, Sarah. And I hope you will all turn in again next week for Grand Rounds.